Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Hey guys, welcome back to Absurdity. I'm here with a really, really good friend of mine, Ross Knight. And I've known Ross for, I think, like seven years now. Um, just a little over seven years. So, Ross, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, um, Ross. I am a pastor up and uh, here in the same conferences as Ryan. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, and I do lots of things with uh, with a couple with a couple churches. Lean on the conservative side of things uh, at the churches do, I should say. Uh, but uh, I enjoy uh, disc golf, wakeboarding. Sports of all kind. Wait, you wakeboard? I didn't know that. Yeah, I haven't done it in a little while, actually. I'm hoping to over Labor Day. But uh, yeah, I've been growing up on the water, wakeboarding my whole life. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. I, I uh, had a church member teach me how to water ski a couple of years ago. That was the next day. My body was like screaming in pain. <laughs> when you haven't uh, done it in a while, it's like anything. You get it's It's tough. Yeah, for sure. So, Ross, thanks for coming on. I'm actually really, really excited to talk about this topic because this is this is one of those areas that, as as absurdity has expanded in in what we talk about, as far as you know, we've moved from social justice and we talk about social justice, but we also talk about it through religious issues. Um, this is a big one because what we're talking about today, I think, uh, hits both of those really well, and re- usually determines what side. Or, or what you believe about any given issue. So today we're talking about conservative versus liberal, or you know, liberal versus traditional, whatever your terms are, and we'll probably have to figure that out here in a minute. But um, and how do we bridge that gap? Right? How how do we actually learn to coexist well, to uh, and be friends with people that have you know maybe have completely different ideologies in a in a completely different worldview and framework for how they view the world uh, than, than we do. So Ross, you came to me with this and I, and I, and I kind of want to ask just um, 
why was this kind of on your heart? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, that's kind of been on my heart since I was a teenager, really, um, because I remember back when I was in Academy, I went to Adventist Academy um, and I just, I don't know, I remember it was kind of the first time I was exposed and realized that, you know, people who are either contemporary or liberal or, you know, and those who hold conservative values and things just have a real beef with each other sometimes. And I remember even at that age feeling like I had to choose between uh, friendships and relationships, both with people my age and adults. Um, meaning I could hang out with one side or, or the other side, be totally friends, but these people could not interact with each other for whatever reason. Hmm. And so that has kind of been something on my mind ever since I was a teenager as, because, you know, I just don't think that should be the case. Yeah. I, I think for me, this, this topic actually really came to a forefront uh, during the 2008 election uh, when um, Obama's first term, basically, because that was, that was kind of when my eyes were open to the political spectrum when I was in high school but then I didn't take it. I didn't take it pers- I didn't take it seriously. But at least that's where I saw the divide start. That's where I. That's where I really saw it. Because what I saw was the black community really, really rallied behind Obama during uh, at my school. Right. Like so, at my school, I watched the black community really, really rally behind Obama. Actually, a, a friend of mine, still a friend of mine to this day, who's kind of a music producer and worked with Sony for a short time, ended up producing a track based off of the slogan "Yes, We Can." So there was this big kind of movement on campus for that. So even politically, I saw that. But then I watched um, over even more years, I watched that divide uh, grow and move from the political spectrum. I, now I saw it more on the religious spectrum. And um, I saw it because I would get involved with, um, I, I would meet different leaders in the church or different different pastors that I that I enjoyed and that I became friends with. And then I start to find out you know, I'm being rejected by other people because of pastors I follow or listen to and things like that. So there was, there's all this tension that started to exist that I was like, what, why is this even a thing? And, um, it's, it, it's it a big be, issue. It can, all, it can be all sorts of things, you know, um, like obviously politics is, is, is one of them, you know, and I try and my personally, I try and keep a broad spectrum of friends, you know, some are on hold some stances, some hold the other stances. And, you know, for me, I try not to base, uh, just on, you know, uh, preferential stances as to if I can get along with a person or not. And it's interesting because we see it in politics, but, you know, we see it on, uh, on the church side of things, you know, me being a big sports fan, you see that in sports, definitely, you know, like for instance, you know, I've always been Alabama Crimson Tide fan. And if you're a Tennessee fan or an Auburn fan, it's going to be really difficult for some of these people to accept me. For instance, I was walking into a restaurant just two days ago and I had an Alabama shirt on and uh, the person asked me right off the bat was like, so are you Roll Tide or are you War Eagle? And I was like, well, I'm Roll Tide. I mean, it was kind of obvious. My shirt said Roll Tide (laughs) literally on the shirt, but I was like, but it's okay. You know, hey, we can still be friends, you know? Um, So it's, it's interesting to me that it's very difficult for people today if you hold an opposing viewpoint to your own that somehow we can't be friends that somehow we can't get past 
disagreement. Yeah, and I think I think it comes down a lot to identity and 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 kind of where you where you place your identity, right? So if if a lot of who I am is wrapped up in what I believe and I can't separate the two, then someone who disagrees with me ends up not just disagreeing ideologically, but they disagree with me as a person. Like they're like I it's a lot easier if I identify very strongly with my with my worldview that way that when someone insults anything or disagrees with anything in my worldview, they're actually attacking me personally. It's very easy to see that happen. Like, and I think that's a trap that a lot of people fall into, especially like in universities, actually like Alabama and things like that. Like that's really, really easy to see because even within Adventism, you see that between Southern Andrews, Walla Walla, PUC, all of that, like the Harlem Shake videos that came out a few years ago and all the pride that was around them even though a lot of students at different schools got in trouble for it, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it, it, you know, it's it's one of those things where with universities, especially, I spent four years of my life there and, may, you know, there's a lot of people that will say, like, those were the best years of my life. Those are where I met my best friends and how dare you make fun of that place that so much of my life has been given to. And I think we do the same thing with our worldviews and with our with our beliefs. Um but I don't know that that's necessarily totally a a bad thing. Sure. Like, I think I'm I'm trying to work through this. I guess I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to tie our identity, or I think it is a bad thing to fully tie our identity to some of these things. Sure, but I don't think it's a bad thing to identify one way or the other. And I don't, and I just think it's it's bad to assume that every attack on your beliefs is an attack on you. Um, Definitely. And I think that's why people get mad so quickly when it comes to like these sorts of uh, conversations. I mean, let's face it, it's usually not a conversation. It's usually just a full flown uh, debate. Um, And I think that's one of the hard things for people is to accept is that it's not always a personal attack on the individual. It's, you know, a particular aspect uh, that you're sharing. So like if someone posts on Facebook, about this particular stance or that particular stance. It's funny, we often will read, you know, a hard statement that goes to maybe something that, you know, we align ourselves with and we take it personally. You know, yeah. we're like, that person just totally was, you know, cursed me out basically. And it really had nothing to do with the individual. It had something to do whether right or wrong with a particular stance. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, so, before we go any further, let's let's start with defining these terms. This is kind of tradition on this show that we define the terms so that even so that listeners, if you're listening to this, if you have a different operating definition of these, we're going to ask that you borrow ours uh, that we're about to set <laughs> so that uh, for the for the duration of this episode, so that so that we're all on the same page, right? So so Ross, how would you define liberal and conservative? Okay, so I'm speaking uh, I'm speaking in language as it relates to the church and not politics. So, so oftentimes we will uh, try and draw parallels and try and, you know, say, oh, this person identifies as a, as kind of a conservative worshiping Christian, then that automatically lumps them in with a particular uh, party. Or if someone is liberal in this area, it automatically makes them like a total liberal when it comes to their uh, political spectrum as well. So I'm speaking more out of terms in regard to uh, to uh, Christian worship. And, you know, it's interesting because um, 
I have no like dictionary definition, but all I can kind of give you is, is descriptions. And when I was in Academy, for instance, um, I think my viewpoint on, uh, on conservative uh, versus, you know, contemporary or, or liberal behaviors was more skewed to like, okay, it's really just more about music. You know, it's like, it's one group prefers only singing out of the hymnal and others enjoy listening to praise hymns or sorry, praise songs that you hear either on the radio or from wherever. And they like to have it with guitars, sometimes with drums, sometimes like always having the words up on the screen, that sort of thing. And so that in my mind at first was like the, that that's like the first thing that I thought of. And I will admit when I was younger, I used to think really that music wars was like the only difference between a conservative Christian mm. versus one who is more liberal. Now, as I've grown older, as I've you know studied theology at, at, at Southern and, and uh, seminary up at Andrews, um, and then kind of been more exposed to ch- church culture as an adult versus, uh, versus as a teenager, I realized that it goes definitely further than just simply music wars or like a traditional worship service versus a, you know, one that is uh, more progressive or liberal, you know, um, it, there are theological issues, for instance, to uh, definitely, uh, definitely take notice of when it comes to, uh, you know, conservative and liberal. Um, but at the, but at the same time, what I've typically noticed is that when you walk into a church just based on the aesthetic, you know, based on what the church looks like, you know, visually, you can typically tell whether you're about to enter into a uh, conservative uh, worship style versus a, uh, versus a, you know, more uh, modern or for lack of a better word, liberal uh, style, basically. And so, so like I said, it goes, it goes far deeper than just simply, you know, what's your, what's your music that you're listening to. But I will say, I think we focus, like, I'd probably go as far as saying, you know, eight times out of 10, the focus is more on the aesthetic than it is anything further, like deeper down the line, like theological or or what have you. I think usually it's more about preference than it is about like uh, theology being the governing principle. Well, I think too, I mean, at best, these words are relative, right? So even I think even the most liberal Adventist is still a conservative evangelical. Um, <laughs> and um, it like I just every time I talk with evangelicals and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the liberal side. They're like, wow, why are you so conservative? Um, and, and a lot of that comes down to the Sabbath, right? That's 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 a big one. But I actually so the way that I might describe this and it's not meant to be. A kind of a catch-all, and so there's probably going to be someone that goes, I disagree because of this nuanced reason. Good for you. Um, which is, I think that um, I think that the conservative camp values external authority and um, kind of black and white answers more than, than liberal or progressive. Progressive tends to value um, more internal authority versus, and, and values experience, basically, and values experience more and uh, kind of lives in that gray or accepts that, that not everything can have a black and white answer 
more easily or more readily than the conservative camp. That's the way that I, so the reason that then you walk into a church and see the aesthetic this way is because this is the way it should be. Whereas you walk into any liberal or, or, or you walk into a more progressive camp or church or something in the aesthetic, you definitely know it's liberal, even though it doesn't actually look like maybe what you'd expect it to look like. Uh, not every liberal church looks the same. Whereas most conservative churches look pretty darn similar. Mm-hmm. Sure, that that that's definitely that's definitely true. Um, but you know what's interesting to me is that uh, they're more alike than they admit they will be. In the sense that uh, I've I've found, at least in my experience, is that you know both camps are not very open to being challenged. If that makes oh, sense. absolutely, you know, absolutely. Like, like and 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 that's that's what's so interesting to me. I I think probably my biggest criticism as a pastor, as a person, really has been that I often get accused of being of sitting on the fence, you know, like I sit on the fence on this issue, or I sit on the fence on that. I don't take these hard stances uh, sometimes, like I'm talking about, like, uh, like in the in the sense that I'm not willing to uh, condemn either side as quickly as I see both sides trying to condemn each other on uh, for things. And so oftentimes, I find myself on the outside looking in, only because I won't take a hard, only because I won't take a hard stance. And so it's like, you're either you're with me and you're against me. And so both sides kind of take that stance, then you find yourself in a little bit of a, a lonely, lonely uh, place. Oh, absolutely. Trying to keep the peace between the two can be difficult. And it's interesting too, from the pastoral side, being able to see the inconsistencies, right? So I just talked about how, um, how the more progressive side tends to be more experience driven, but even so, I've sat in church discussions where where I've I've heard very very traditional traditionally minded or conservative Adventists talking about the dangers of elevation worship uh, and elevation church, and they've said that that music I went there and you know I had to use earplugs and and the bass was so much that my my stomach was rumbling and I wasn't even hungry and I'm not kidding by the way um, these you know I've heard these words said. And, you know, that music is just inappropriate and too loud and, and this and that. There's no way that, that God's present in that. And all these people that attend there are just doing it because they like the music, and that's why they think it's appropriate. And I'm sitting here like, well, yeah, and you're telling me that it's bad because you don't like it. So you're being just as experience-driven as the people that you're claiming are being experience-driven. And so it's it's very interesting to me to watch that play out and the cognitive dissonance to not even see it happen. Um, sure. but, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I was going to say, like, uh, you almost you almost describe a similar experience that I have. You know, I'll, I'll do my best not to, like, name or call out, you know, call out churches or name churches. But, you know, I attended a, I attended a pretty heavily, you know, you and I have both been there. I've, I mean, I've I've attended a pretty heavily contemporary worship service yes. where I was, I mean, I'm telling you, I was, I went and sat down to my friends and like, I was seated like right next to the speakers. And so I'm telling you, like, it was so intense that my hair on my head was like going the other direction. Um, <laughs> and I was thinking in my head, I was like, so this is, this is pretty, this is pretty intense. You know, if, if I have my preference, I probably wouldn't sit right next to this, uh, sit next to this, uh, the speaker next time I'm here or, you know, kind of makes me feel good about, you know, uh, uh, going and enjoying some, you know, 
gentle like piano or guitar music that's not going to make me but again as i'm thinking about that i'm saying that has nothing to do with anything spiritual that just simply has something to do with like a personal preference and again what i see happening so so often is that probably the most vicious fights i've seen people have with each other is is really and it's often masked as something spiritual and maybe I'm naive, I don't know, but uh, it's often, in my opinion, masked as something spiritual when really it's just preference. It's a matter of preference of what gets someone in, what gets someone uh, in the in the in the spirit, as as, as you would say, uh, like into that worship uh, worship mood, basically. Yeah, and and that you're right it it usually comes down to a matter of preference and then we elevate our preference i actually think it's pride but we elevate our preference to the status of 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 or to the uh as the litmus test for what is good and what is bad and and the problem is then we project that decision to everyone else right like so for me it's one thing for me to say i don't like this certain kind of music or this certain kind of music is bad for me to listen to. But it's it's a whole other thing for me to say, because this music is bad for me to listen to, that means it's also bad for you to listen to. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not the way to do it. I mean, I could sit here and tell you that I love, I don't love peanut butter, right? I hate peanut butter. I could tell you, like, peanut butter is the greatest thing ever. Everyone should have peanut butter, except for people who are allergic to peanuts. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's always someone that, even if your preference is, is completely right, uh, there's someone that that preference doesn't work for. And so projecting it onto other people is where I think we get we kind of get tripped up and we project our ideologies and our preferred way of viewing the world onto other people. And that doesn't always work. Um, so for for me, for, uh, for me, Ryan, um, I really don't have strong. I really don't have again, this is more of my fence sitting, you know, as I get accused of. I really don't have strong opinions as to you know, uh, worship style should, should be, uh, should, should be only, you know, hymns and organ and piano, uh, versus, you know, pray, praise songs and, and, you know, more, more of that contemporary stuff. I really don't have a hard stance. I'm, I'm really kind of more excited when, when, if the church is working and doing, and, and doing mission and is, uh, is bringing people to close into a closer walk with the Lord and is you know is is working to help people uh you know understand the bible and and understand what truth really means if that is their ultimate desire is to bring people close to jesus i really don't have an agenda to make every christian uniform exactly like i am like i don't i don't really i don't really care so much if a person believes exactly like I do or practices exactly like I do. But let me tell you what probably my greatest beef is with either side, okay? Like whether someone is uh, traditional, non-traditional, contemporary, conservative, I don't care. This is my probably biggest beef with any Christians altogether if they are this way. I have a beef with mean-spirited Christians. Uh, with someone who is really not interested in, in bringing people into a closer walk with the Lord, it is tearing people down, uh, making them feel worthless, uh, uh, wanting to, wanting to uh, really be the police on everything uh, that is their stances. And if they're not, if they're uh, 
if they don't believe exactly like you do, I am going to very much condemn this person very and very quickly. And so I identify these people as mean Christians, just all, all together. And it's hard to even attach the name Christian to them if they are that mean spirited. Uh, but those who would identify as a Christian and yet be so mean spirit. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. It was, it was, uh, you know, uh, very, very quick into, into me pastoring and I'm not calling out it, calling out this, 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 uh, situation totally, but I, I heard a person make another person cry. Uh, a male made another female uh, or a female cry over, uh, over a music thing that was being played at a, at a church social made this lady cry. And I could not, I could not have been more furious in that situation. And, and I'm very reactive uh, at times. And I really had to contain myself a little bit because if I had gotten angry and really let the person know how I felt, you know, it would not have solved the situation would have not made things, uh, made things positive or not. And so for me, again, my biggest issue is, and I've seen it, I sincerely have seen it on both sides. I've seen, I've seen bullying. I've seen uh, all sorts of things, you know, like say someone, someone holds a more of a, a conservative view or stance on something and they come in contact with some, with someone who has a less conservative notion on that. I've seen bullying take place, whether it's online or whether it is in person or face to face. And again, that has no place either. If someone is sincerely trying to follow the Bible and is humble about trying to follow the Bible, I see I see no reason to condemn that person. Now I can say, sometimes I want to have a conversation and say, you know, uh, like I kind of read that text a little differently. But again, I see that you're a sincere seeker of truth and wanting to to follow God as as He's called you to. And so again we can agree to disagree, but we also need to have a mutual respect for each other. Well, I think at some point we have to remember that like, at, we're going to have to all sit at the welcome table. Like <laughs> I've got to sit at heaven across from the people that I'm disagreeing with. If they're, if all of us are inside that Christian camp, which is what we're currently assuming. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, I think too, I don't, I don't know of anywhere in scripture where Christians are commanded to be right. But I do see three mandates of Christians. The mandates are this: love God, love others, and tell others about God's love for them. Right? Those are the those are kind of the three big mandates I see. Um, and, but I never see I never see Paul going like, make sure you win every argument. <laughs> uh, you know. But we we come at we come at these these arguments or we come at these these stances or these situations, and we're like, we're I'm right, and they need to know. And it becomes more about me being right than it becomes about um, about actual dialogue and us coming to truth together. And uh, what I love is Anthony Bosman came on a long time ago and did an episode on this, and he said um, that really um, arguing or debates are about two parties coming to or finding truth together. But instead, what we turn them into is debates, um, debates becoming like uh, one side shouting their facts, the other side shouting their facts, and and they and no one ends up growing for it. And I think part of it, and, and this is what I see in your story too, is that people don't stay in their sphere. Like one of the things that I one of the things that I learned or, or realized was when I stopped getting in arguments with people that I didn't know, <laughs> suddenly the argument I could talk about the same 
same topic with people I know, people I'm actually friends with, and get a lot more done than arguing with people that I don't know. And Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that has opened us up to, to having an audience with people that we don't know, that don't know us, and have no idea what context we're coming from and talking about. That's so true. I mean, you know, we make we make we we read a few statements from an individual and we can probably maybe maybe we can guess what their stance is on something. But again, as you're saying, you have no idea how they have arrived at that stance. Oftentimes we uh, oftentimes we will view it just simply as ignorance. Oh, that person's ignorant. Uh, That's why that's why they hold that's why they hold that view because they don't they don't know any better or they're just they're just dumb for for not understanding the right way. And so you're right. When we don't know someone, it's very easy that we can suddenly paint this picture of this person as an enemy. This person is a this person is clearly a horrible person. And I, in my paragraph of writing here, or in some people's cases, like 15 paragraphs of writing in on like a particular like Facebook or Twitter yeah. uh, response, uh, get, thinks I'm going to set this person straight. No, you don't set. You're not setting the person straight. What you're doing. It, what you're probably doing in that situation is that person's going to feel even more strongly about the opinion, opinion they already held, and they're going to hate your guts. That's like yeah. that's that's what I see happening so often. Well, I think yeah, and that's why that's why for me the the rule that I've come to is the only time I step into a conversation with someone I don't know on Facebook or or Twitter is if they're saying something that's that's harmful. And there's a so then I then I step in not for the sake of the person who's saying the harmful things, but I say it for the sake of the people that might be reading it, mm-hmm. um, and and that kind of so there's always a third party, right? The people that are reading your comments but are not actually interacting. And sometimes I've seen some some value there, but I only do that if I believe that what that person is saying is actually harmful, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's uh, like like physically harmful or emotionally harmful to people who might be in. So if someone's talking bad about people with mental illness or, you know, someone who's dealt with death, something like that. I'll, I'll step in and be like, Hey, hold up. Like, let's, let's talk about this real quick. Um, and, but I, I, I I'm no, I, I'm, I'm no, like, I, I can't claim perfection in any area of my life, but, but in that area, especially, I mean, I'll, I also think, as I want to say that every comment I've ever made on Facebook or every comment I've made on social media that's been in the form of some sort of a debate. I want to say that I'm always coming from the moral high ground too, but I have to say there's sometimes or I'll be reactive and I'll say, no, that's just still, <laughs> needs, there needs to be a rebuttal to what was just written. <laughs> well, that's, that's, and, and here's the thing. I think everyone thinks they're coming at this from the moral high ground. Mm-hmm. Like that's, it's kind of the same thing. We look at church history and we look at some of the things that the church has uh, done. That's terrible. And we go, and and, the, and they're like, well, we prayed about this, and we're doing it. And it's like, well, <laughs> well, wait a minute, because now, down the line through history, we can look back and go, wait a minute, you prayed about it, and that wasn't the right decision anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the belief that you're coming at something from the moral high ground is not proof that you are coming at something from the moral high ground. And that's why I love the idea that debates and arguments are meant to uh, have both parties find truth together instead of you know, one party teaching the other what truth is. Um, I, I really, really do love that kind of description of it or, or, or picture of it, if you will. We all, um, we all think we're, we all think we're so wise sometimes, you know, like, uh, and I, I, you know, what you just said, kind of, I, I had a verse, a Bible verse kind of ready um, because I, I knew there was going to be some sort of a something that was going to lead me into this particular text on this topic. <laughs> and you, 
you just gave me the platform. And this talks about what biblical, like what, what the model of wisdom really looks like. Um, and uh, it comes from James 3.17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So if we're trying to practice, if we're trying to practice wisdom, if something's probably even worth saying, uh, we have here in James the, you know, the parameters of demonstrating real wisdom. And if, like I said, I've said this before in a couple, a couple sermons that I've shared, I've shared it multiple times, and that I believe that truth said in hate is not actually truth. Does that make sense? Like if I'm sharing, if I'm sharing truth from the Bible, it has to come from a context of love. And so if I'm saying, if I'm saying truth for the, for the sake of just proving someone wrong or making someone look bad then I haven't really shared truth with that person. What I've shared is just some, some form of spite, um, which is the opposite of, from something of wisdom that comes from above, basically. Well, I think, I think the, the beauty of that verse too is that it's very inwardly focused. And it's not inwardly focused in the sense of, I'm right, how do I convince this person I'm right? But it's inwardly focused in what's your motivation and where are you, where are you actually coming from? Mm-hmm. And, and that's huge. Like, I think one of the biggest issues with, with online argument, arguing, and there's a fallacy associated with what I'm about to describe, I just forget what it's called, uh, is that we're always looking for ways to tear the, oppor- the opponent down instead of build them up. And uh, we're always focused on how the other is wrong instead of how the other can be right. And what I've found is there's much so so the, here's the fa- the fallacy I forget what it's called but it's when it's when you look at someone's entire list of arguments you pick the weakest one and attack only that and you ignore the rest of them um, and I've seen this happen all the time with my own comments I'll write out this long comment and someone will respond only to one sentence midway down and that's it and I'm like well then what was the, like it's like you didn't even read the rest of my comment like. Um, and I do that to people too, where I pick just their weakest argument and I attack that instead of looking at the whole picture. And what I found was what, what I decided to change when I realized this, and I hated when it was done to me, was I started to look for the ways that the other person was right. In other words, I tr- started to look for the ways that I could agree with the other person and complement their argument. Mm. Um, because what that did, especially if I'm arguing for the sake of the third party, right? If I'm talking about if I'm in a conversation where they're being harmful and I find a way to still build this person up, but also demonstrate that what they're doing is harmful, then, um, then I actually win. Um, I win people to my side. And, it, there, and there's many times where I found even, in other words, look for common ground instead of looking for what divides you and looking for what you can attack. Exactly. Exactly. And I, you know, I, just, I just don't see us doing that very often. Uh, to be honest with you, you know, like it, for me, I've met, I've met people, you know, maybe they're walking right into, right into Sabbath school and they're like, I am going in for the pure fact of trying to derail what the, what the teacher up there is trying to, you know, oftentimes what I'm doing during the Sabbath school hour is that I'm warming up, I'm warming up my sermon for later. Yeah. So, but then what I try and do is I try and kind of check in for like the last, you know, 15 minutes, just to kind of be knowledgeable as to what's going on and and seeing how the, how the teacher's teaching, seeing, looking in the back to see if all the people that are there are engaged and everything like that. And, and so that's, that's kind of my purpose for being there. 
and again, probably, probably uh, nine times out of 10, everything's going just fine, you know, but oftentimes there's that one person who I can tell is literally just sitting there and is waiting for the chance to pounce on, uh, pounce on that, uh, on that teacher. And again, oftentimes the teacher doesn't really have the agenda uh, the agenda of like doing anything wrong or, or it's really just trying to focus on the lesson a little bit, but this person is looking for an area. Oh, he used that particular word. That means he's a, this, 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 and this, you know? Um, and so, uh, for me, I just don't have a whole lot of, uh, I don't have a whole lot of appreciation for that style of conversation because it's not meant to be uplifting. It's not even there to like save the rest of the group what it's there to do is it's meant to try and embarrass and it's meant to try and uh cause chaos because what i really believe is that people who are willing to do that and who are willing to kind of be that person really i think i think that's what i think that's kind of what is their fun for the day you know is to be that disagreeable yeah. you know uh grouchy type type uh, type of person and and I don't really think it has much to do with, you know, uh, make preserving truth. I think it really has to do with ego and pride, as you mentioned before. Well, I think it has to do with insecurity, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I find that I think I'm finding that the people who who shout the most about those smallest things are the people that are most insecure about that very thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people that do feel like they have to protect truth. Um, and and the reason they feel so strongly. Here's the thing. If truth is truth, it's going to last. Right. Like. And 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 in Revelation, Jesus is described as the lion of the of the tribe of Judah. And so when was the last time we had to defend a lion? Like, if a lion's getting in a fight, I'm pretty sure the lion doesn't need me to help that lion win that fight. And so if truth is gonna last and truth is actually truth, then then we have nothing to worry about. And I think I think what we see is is a lot of fear and a lot of insecurity, and, and the fear is of irrelevancy too. Because what we do find is that that the 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 um, from the conservative side, um, because the the or the traditional side, you've had things going on in church history for you know decades, and and there's a fear of losing that, right? There's a fear of losing the beauty of that, and from the liberal side, um, there is this fear of rejection, right? I'm I'm br- I'm bringing something new, presenting something new and different or fresh, whatever word you want to described there, and I'm afraid that it will be rejected, and if you reject it, you're rejecting me. And one of the things that I found when... I So I tend to be on the liberal side of things. I mean, it's no surprise. <laughs> um, no, it shouldn't surprise anyone that I'm on the liberal side. If it, 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 But um, I pastor two churches that very much are conservative. And one of the things that I started doing was whenever I brought a motion in board meeting, whenever I brought a suggestion that I thought wouldn't go over very well... One of the things I one of the things I did was I emotionally removed myself from the suggestion and I basically said, look, if anyone has a problem with this, I just want to let you know up front, I don't care. <laughs> like I don't care about this. I'm not personally attached to this. So if you have a problem with this, just say so so that we can figure out what to do together. I'm getting us a starting place, but I'm in no way personally attached to this idea. I don't care about it. So if you disagree with it, you're not, you're not going against the pastor. I want to find something that works for all of us. And letting them know that off the bat, like just being completely um, explicit and, and, and very specific about that, 
has has opened opened up this brand new world of openness from my members to say, okay, well, here's how we actually feel. Um, and then it's on me to not take it personally, right? Because I told them that I wouldn't, and so I don't. Um, and sometimes that's a challenge, but other times it's not. And it's made it's made a great world of communication, a great world of difference in in terms of communication between myself and my conservative, more conservatively minded church members. Have Have you noticed, based on what your what that experience a little bit? Um, and because for me, I'll tell you right off the bat that I've seen it again both ways, like liberal or conservative doesn't doesn't really matter. Um, but have you noticed like in that particular scenario that you bring up, I could, I could see that. And the one person who's got pushback will word things as like, well, we all feel, you know, or we all, all are, uh, feel, feel this or a large percentage of us feel, feel this way. And there's just too often that I'm like, I think probably in year one, um, I would, I would, you know, more freak out about something like that. We're like, oh man, everybody's against me here. And then what I've come to realize is that too often times it's not, I mean, sometimes there may be multiple people involved, but a lot of times it's like one person has the issue and will word it as the church has an issue. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, and is speaking, speaking uh, for the, speaking for the, is they're happy to speak for the whole church body basically when in fact it doesn't necessarily represent the church body's uh, full opinion. I've often found that even in, even in, uh, you know, a conservative environment, for instance, you know, certain stances on like, you know, women's ordination or, or jewelry or, or, or whatever else thing are often pretty well split down the middle, even amongst like that, uh, even amongst that, genre of 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 uh worshiping people even in and and uh, a buddy of mine who uh pastors a, a far more uh, contemporary church uh you know he and i were hanging out uh recently and, and he was sharing he's like yeah i remember saying this and i made the mistake because i just assumed everybody felt particular this yep. particular way because it just feels that way that's the environment we create and then like half my church just was like totally blew me up for this thing you know and uh, so my point is, is that, you, you know, we're not as like, like the conservative side and the more liberal side are not as like uniform as we like to paint it, or at least the more vocal people like to paint it is that we are uniformly against this, against this, against this. And we're, and first off, we like to say what we're against more than we like to say what we're for. Um, yep. That's a problem in, in itself. But uh, too often times we're saying we're for this, for this, for this, against this, against this, against this. When, you know, like I've heard some of your podcasts before, you know, you don't like having someone speaking for you, do you, you know, Um, or, or speaking into speaking into your life when they don't have permission to, I don't like it when someone will speak for me and assume, uh, assume all of my allegiances based on one particular allegiance in my life, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, man, the, the, (laughs) the one, the one person speaking as a spokesperson, Oh man, that kills me. Whatever they say, a large percent of uh, a large percentage of us. I just think you mean the, the person is saying a hundred percent of me thinks that you're wrong. Like, and what or I've they, also or they've had one person confirm it. Yeah, one, well, so, oftentimes maybe they'll just have that one person confirm that and give empower them to to say yeah. something. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I come to you, Ross, and I go. People are telling me this. Do you want to go talk to the pastor? And then you go, uh, and then you take 
that person plus all the the people, quote unquote, that told them. And so now you're assuming it's the whole church. Well, here's the thing. In a church of like 30, 40 people, you find out that even three, four, five, six, seven people, like it's not, it's never as many as it seems. Mm -hmm. And it usually is just that one person. And what they're doing is they're trying to, if they get rejected, soften the blow to themselves or make you feel like you're up against this this, this army of people when in reality you're not. And yeah, all the time I find that. And um, this is this is one of those things where they talk about if you're trying to figure out your life goals or trying to tackle a plan, write out the steps that you need to take to do it. That way it doesn't... And once you write out the steps, you find out, oh, wait, this is not as big of a deal as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I learned to do was just start talking to people and asking them about it mm-hmm. uh, and finding out, like, is is what this person said true or is it not? And uh, that that's been the way I combat it. But yes, all the time people will people will come up to me and they'll they'll try and hide behind an invisible army when in reality it's they are the army and it's super frustrating. I think one of the mistakes I've made uh, I've made in the past is been uh, not always being myself, like sharing what I think everyone wants to hear. Uh, number one, dressing the way I think everybody appreciates me dressing, um, and. Uh, you know, doing all the things that I know will keep everyone basically happy. And the thing is, is that that's not really happiness. That's just unchallenged. Like, mm. um, meaning, uh, like, I'm not challenging. I'm not challenging them in any way. I'm just basically saying, yep, continue living exactly as you're living. And I don't think that is what our job as ministers are to do. Like, you know, uh, if, I, if, if, if a church is doing great on something, like why am I why am I gonna uh, make every single sermon uh, about that particular topic? Like that's that's a non-issue, you know. Like if if uh, my church is if my church is one is doing really if my church has the best potluck ever, am I, my ser- I mean, not that I'm ever preaching on potlucks, but at the same point, am I gonna go up there and be like, listen, a church should have good potlucks, 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 potlucks? No, that's not going to be uh, that's not going to be my my focus. And so, you know, as I've kind of shared, you know, both of my churches kind of uh, lean on the lean on the conservative side. And it's funny because they're very different. You know, one is uh, one is definitely, you know, uh, has a has an age gap, you know, it's more, you know, more elderly and, and, and you know, more seasoned, I should say. Yeah. Um, a lot of really, really wonderful people in there. And I've learned so much, uh, learned so much being a part of that uh, congregation. And then the other church is, is one that is filled with young families, young in the sense that they have, you know, age range of like 35 to 50 of the adults and then have lots of, lots of kids there. And so um, they, they, again, will lean conservative too, yet at the same time, will also, it's not like if you walk into one church and you walk into the other, they're, they're very, they're very different. Um, and different isn't always, different isn't always, uh, always a bad thing. I think different there's things that we, there's things that, um, you know, if someone's coming into the area, I can say, Hey, listen, this district offers this, you can find this over here and you can find this over here. And so you're hitting a pretty broad spectrum of being able, uh, people that you can most effectively, uh, effectively minister to. Um, and so, uh, this idea that we all have to look exactly alike, have to be exactly alike and, and this, that, and the other, um, it's just, it doesn't really, it doesn't really just sense. 
The other thing is, is that I've noticed too, that oftentimes it's me who's making the bigger deal. Like I'm focusing on the most, I'm often focusing on the most extreme behavior or stance that, or, or possible pushback that I could get on something when oftentimes these people probably don't even care that much about something in particular. I'll give, I'll give you one very simple example. Um, I remember, uh, I remember uh, one time I was thinking, uh, I was talking to, to one of the uh, college age uh, guys at, uh, at the church. And I noticed that the, that the guys are coming in and they're often wearing suits. Like they look very the same, but I've noticed it's like this trend with these guys. They're always wearing it. They're always wearing a suit but they don't wear a tie. Um, so they're wearing a suit and then they got, and, and, and these, these guys got like, like a nice night, like fashionable suit going. And I'm walking in there and I was like, so guys, would you think more of me if I didn't wear a tie? Uh, this And they're like, like, no, no, you're fine. We're just, we're not wearing it. We're not wearing a tie. And I was thinking in my head, I was like, I was like, yo, but I, you know, I, I really, I don't like wearing ties. I, I, I admit it. I was like, I probably wouldn't wear a tie very often if I didn't feel like it was going to ruffle some feathers. And so, then an elder who was present kind of heard me say that and is like, so you don't like wearing ties. So why do you wear ties? And I was like, well, uh, and I was thinking, yep. this, I was thinking that this is one of the guys who would be like, no, you need to wear a tie every time. And, and he's like, yeah, I really don't care if you wore a tie. Like I don't care if you do a bad sermon, but you know, if you wear a tie or not, it's not really a big concern to me. And I was like, Oh, and I, it's funny. Even since then, I still always have worn a tie. Like I haven't even, it's like, a nat, it's almost like a natural thing for me. Like I feel weird going into this environment, not wearing a tie. But the point was, is that the person I expected to probably be the person who would give me some pushback on wearing a tie, on wearing a tie or not was like, yeah, that's really not that big a deal. I don't really see <laughs> a big issue with you, uh, you know, showing up and not wearing a tie. That's hilarious. I've d- I did literally, well, not literally the exact same thing, but basically the same thing. For the first like six months, I only showed up in a suit and tie to both churches. And then I realized that it didn't matter. And I was making a bigger deal about it than, than, than anything else. And I think too, excuse me. Um, I think too, there is this, we assume a lot about people without actually asking. Yep. And so I, I, I've become a big fan of just being straight up with people and saying like, Hey, are you okay with this? Are you not okay with this? One of the things I found was all the, I, when I first came into my district, I, I thought I, I saw all these changes that needed to be made literally to the building, mm-hmm. but I was afraid because they, they had told me that these things had been there all along. Well, I started to ask and I asked like why they were there. Not, not how long, but I asked why. And they said, Oh, well other people like it. And I found out that everyone was saying other people liked it. And then I was like, Oh, okay. So let's just get rid of it then. Uh, or let's let's clean out this room or let's get rid of these books or whatever. And and I found that just by asking the questions, we were able to get stuff done. And and so I think and, and I think if we were just more willing to talk about this stuff in a way that isn't that isn't tying our own emotions to it, we can we can actually get stuff done and move forward. And but I think the problem is we assume so much of other people and we assume what they believe or their own reaction, and we go based off of that. And I think that's our own insecurity. Like, I think that's my own insecurity speaking and, and, and saying that I'm afraid of, you know, I'm afraid or not confident enough to deal with any backlash that might come of it. And so I'd rather just accept that this is the wrong move and not do it than possibly face the fear, face rejection 
for you know presenting this idea or following through on this action. Sure. Um, but I mean, those those feelings are warranted. I mean, you and I both have experienced that sort of, you know, just in talking to each other, you and I both experienced, you know, pushback that leads to those those sorts of insecurities, you know, um, leads to like, well, maybe that's not the hill I want to die on. You know, maybe this yeah. isn't that maybe this isn't the issue that I is such a big deal that I am going to like stake my whole reputation on basically but that's the environment we create when we don't allow for uh, allow for any sort of conversation to take place when we give when we centralize all our power into like maybe a couple leaders that continue to be nominated every single nominating committee you know uh, meeting like when we when we keep the same sort of thing going again that really uh, in my opinion uh, makes it that growth is very, uh, is very much a challenge. So let's, I, I, we're, we're kind of coming at the last 10 minutes or so of the episode. So I really want to kind of shift gears. We've talked a bit about that. We've touched on it with a few of our answers so far, but what do we do about it? Right? Like, like what can we practically do to kind of change this environment or is there anything that can be done? Um, you know, or do we just accept it and do the best we can or do we, is there something we can do you think to change it? And what do you, what do you think that that is? Well, I think it's hard, number one. I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's really one of the things that I think is probably the hardest is getting people who have fault, who have assumptions about each other to relate to each other is uh, definitely, definitely difficult. Um, but I would say that for every hard stance someone holds, they have an exception. They have an exception. Like, you know, for like, say, say someone can't be friends or, or okay, let me hit this. Let me say it this way. Um, say someone has a hard stance against women's ordination. Okay. Using that as using that as an example, say someone has a hard stance against women's ordination. Every single person I know that has a hard stance against it has an exception. And it's usually a person because they've heard that particular female preach or do yep. like some positive thing that they'll say yeah but as a whole we shouldn't do that but this person's okay because i've heard what she preaches and it's really awesome or she's a really good person or yeah she's my cousin so you know gotta love her anyways you know um so uh like what i notice oftentimes is that we have we have someone who is an accept an exception to the the rule per se of our you know, our, our hatred or or prejudice or, or, or whatever it is. Like we have an exception to that principle. And the reason we have an exception is because there is some sort of a relational factor to that person. Um, whether it's just something that we really appreciate that person, or we have a genuine friendship like we put up with a lot of people in our lives because we're friends with them. You know what yep. I mean? Like there are people like Brian, think in your life, there's someone in your life that, you know, probably annoys the bejeebers out of you. And it was probably me at one point. I don't know. I was going to say, yeah, they're on my podcast right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, there's someone who annoys you to death, but you put up with them because you have a relationship with them and you have a genuine friendship with them. And so for me, uh, I think one of the things that's going to bring people together rather than further apart is to have relationships with someone of opposing views or differing views. Again, that's very difficult because oftentimes we will um, we will tribe with the with the person that is all that it already believes the same things this that and the other. In fact, I received a phone call recently 
asking me about my uh, asking about my churches says they're possibly moving into the area and saying, you know, uh, that, uh, well, we just want to make sure we're going to be around like minded people. Again, I just don't think that's what we're striving for. I mean, like minded is, is great. And I want us to find unity and friendship. But at the same time, I don't think unity means uniformity. Um, we have to have uh, room for differences and, uh, and being able to be challenged is a good thing. Um, even if you stay in your particular uh, realm of, of belief. So relationship, I think, is, is one big factor. The second big thing, I think, is mission. Um, okay, so again, some, a lot of times people who are of different views and things have different missions. And that's true. You know, some people are saying, well, we need to get out in the community. We need to do more. We need to do more work in the community. Others are saying, no, 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 we, we, that's great. But we also need to, we need to be preaching the word. You know, we need to be giving the truth as expressed through the Adventist church. We need to give the truth. And so uh, sometimes our mission are not always exactly the, exactly perfectly the same, but you know what I have noticed will bring people together is when we will unite on mission like for instance uh if you take your take your most liberal minded person and take your most conservative minded person and stick them out in a different country or another area and put them on a mission trip together you know like get them to go because are you guys going to argue with each other as to how to it probably will but as to how to put the nails into the wall how to build their particular church how to feed the hungry that you're going to, how to provide medical care for those who yeah. need it. Like uh, oftentimes I see people who are very different will grow together if they will unite on a principle of mission of helping others. Uh, you know, like I went on a mission when I was in Academy, I went on a mission trip to Panama. What we did is we worked all day and uh, all morning and early afternoon building this church. And in the evening we were doing an evangelistic series. Two specific missions uh, brought to, brought together, and you know what? The concern wasn't about ourselves as to okay, am I bringing the right worship style to these people that we're coming to? No, what we were saying is okay. Who are the people we're trying to trying to witness to? Um, so obviously, these are mostly Spanish speakers. So we need to have people who can speak Spanish and help interpret for us, and want us to be able to find a common ground and relate to these people whom we're trying to come and help. And so if we had that attitude as a church in our local context, like in our local church, if we had that attitude of mission and service to say, all right, whoever walks through these doors, I want to not only meet their needs, but I want to offer them something that will be, that we believe is transforming, which is Jesus. Now, whether that comes from a conservative context or a liberal context, when I can say, Hey, that church, uh, although I'm not a, uh, although that's probably not my preference of worship style, they baptized 10 people this, this last year, 10 people were brought, were brought into a relationship with the Lord, have chosen to commit their lives to Jesus because of what was going on in that context. Maybe it was quite different from what you're used to, but if the overall goal is to spreading good news or bringing people under a closer walk with the Lord, I mean, is it really that big of an issue if another church does it does things a little differently than maybe your preference would meet? Well, I think too the the, the common thread, and by the way, I I completely agree with everything you're saying. 
um, which I guess flies in the face of also everything you're saying. <laughs> but um, like the relationship is so key with people that, that think differently than you. And it's more than just interacting with them once a week at church. In other words, not just or, or, or seeing them on Facebook. Having friends on your friends list that disagree with you is not a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Um, a relationship actually involves spending time together because what it what spending time together does. So these are people that you go out to dinner with or these are people that you go, you know, top golf or bowling or the movies, whatever you, know, you do life together with. And the reason is you are reminded of their humanity that 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 um, that transcends their ideology, and 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 you keep their humanity at the forefront of your mind instead of their ideology, and that's what's important. And yes, occasionally the ideology that you disagree with might creep up, but ultimately, if you're spending time with them in real community and active community, um, you are united. And that's the thing. Like, and that's what that's what common mission does is it unites them around something other than. Uh, other than ideology. And I think that the key here is to look, actively look for the ways that we can unite with people and join together with them instead of uh, looking for the ways that we disagree and looking to argue and, and, and pick fights. Like even, even if you want to talk about healthcare, conservatives and liberals both value something, which is getting healthcare for people that need it. So, you know, if you're talking about on, 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 the, on the political spectrum, and if you're talking about the religious spectrum, both conservatives and liberals uh, in or the religious spectrum, you know, if they're in a Christian church, both of them value worshiping God and having worship that is acceptable to God. Mm-hmm. So find the things that you both value and work from there instead of assuming what someone values and working off the assumptions. I think that would go so far. In, in helping us navigate some of these ridiculously hard uh, to navigate conversations. Exactly. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you uh, one, one last quick example. And, and um, it was probably in my, in my first year of, uh, of pastoring. And I didn't know what I was doing. I tell you right off the bat, like, you know, I, I had hardly preached over the course of all the time that I had, had uh, been in school and everything. And, uh, so I definitely wasn't a polished speaker. I'm still not a polished speaker, but, uh, you know, and then uh, also, you know, I'm still, I, I was starting out at 25. There's people who are, you know, way older than me who have read far more than I have, you know? And so um, definitely I'm as, as a, as an entering pastor of, of who's 25 years old, there were some people who are quite skeptical of me, you know? Just, just, just at glance, they're they're skeptical of the situation, and um, you know this was right at the time when when like women's ordination was like the biggest debate in the world going on. So it was about to be voted a GC, and then I remember like the NAD released a, a pamphlet that was in support of women's ordination, and then I again I really even wasn't even that in touch with all the debates and everything going on. I I. I I became very, very in, in touch <laughs> with everything very quickly, but I wasn't like that in touch with all the feuds and everything that were, that were going on. And so, um, you know, it came out and was suggested, oh yeah, it was this new pastor who made sure that these things got, these things got uh, put out. No, I, well, I, I had not, I actually had nothing to do with that mm. whatsoever. I didn't even know what they were. Um, I, didn't, I had no idea. All I said, all I saw was, is that, uh, these were out on the out on the thing uh, because they'd come in the mail and so they were put out on the like in the lobby for people to to take a look at and so I got accused basically of 
you know, that was, that was the pastor who had done all that. Oh. I looked at them and I, and I thought they were, I thought they were great. And I thought it was a, a wonderful resource. But again, I was met with like this skeptical, okay, he's got an agenda. You know, he's trying to make all of us who believe one way, believe another way. And, and, and this, that, and the other. And really that wasn't, I had, I had no agenda. My agenda at this point, only a few weeks into ministry was, I really want to try and learn all the names of the people that are at church. These were my personal agendas were to learn everyone's first name and to not do a terrible job on, on my sermon. Basically that was Mm. literally my only agenda. So I was met a little bit with this skepticism and that skepticism stayed real with a particular family for probably close to close to five, six months. But then I got it and I heard it. I, I, I heard that their kids were joining uh, a base joining baseball. And I said, Oh, they're, they're playing, they're playing little league baseball. Hey, when's their, when's their first game? And they told me, and I went to a baseball game for, to, for their kids. Can I just tell you ever since then, my relationship with, my relationship with, with, with that particular family has been one of the strongest relationships that I've had in the, in, in either one of either one of my churches. I noticed with several people, when I took an interest in people's families and their family life and then their kids and things like that, when I showed that I had an interest in those things, really, either they accept me, even though I have a dis- different opinion on a few things, or they've just come to appreciate me as friend. And maybe I'm a, that exception to the rule that they've, they've, they've held with, with certain people. But that relationship that we built together has made an ability for people who have differing views probably opposite end views on the spectrum and yet can find a way to be able to meet together on Sabbath worship and even unite in, uh, in, in mission, which is we're trying to uh, grow this church and, and be a light in the community that surrounds us. That's huge, man. Thank you for that story. And, and I agree. I, I, when you take an interest in people, uh, that so much changes and there's so many opportunities for, for true love and transformation to take place and, and, and awesome relationship to take place. So Ross, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, any, any final words, anything you want to leave listeners with, uh, before we kind of sign off? Whatever view you hold, whether it's one that's, uh, conservative, religiously conservative or, or liberal or contemporary or whatever words you want to use. Um, I would encourage everyone to first off, uh, if you're wanting to declare wisdom and speak into someone's life, I, I would encourage you to use the principles of James 3.17. Uh, is the wisdom that you're sharing, is it first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy? Does it bear good fruits? Is it impartial? And is it sincere? Um, use that as your guiding point. Um, and then also just don't be a mean-spirited person. Like, uh, be loving even to people that disagree with you or that you disagree with. Um, I know that's really challenging, but in my opinion, I've never gotten anywhere when I've been a jerk to someone. I've never, I've never reached somebody being mean. Mm. And so if I can't do it, if I can't say it in a way that I feel like uh, Jesus would want me to, then it's probably the truth that I have to share is probably not worth sharing. Mm, that's huge. Man, Ross, thank you. I've really loved this conversation, and thanks for your friendship over the last several years as well. Um, really appreciate Likewise. you and what you're doing, and I'll continue praying for you as you um, as you continue leading your churches and 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 moving forward with with your wife as well. So, um, to our listeners, thank you guys so much for listening. You can find Absurdity on iTunes, Stitcher, any podcatching app. 
And if you subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave a review. That really helps us out. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback for the show, you can email me at ryan180becker at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at ryan180becker. Um, and you can find, if you want to support us financially, patreon.com slash absurditypodcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.